Welcome to today's show. And today's show, we want to talk a little bit about wine, and especially wine in KZN, because KZN is a beer-drinking province, and the whole trade is revolves around Black Label and Smirnoff. And as you all know, I'm on a mission to change it. Nothing against Black Label and Smirnoff, but the margins are under pressure for those sort of brands. And I think every retailer that can sell other things is more likely to succeed. At least that's what Mr. Joubert said many, many years ago when I started in the trade. He owned something like seven or eight bottle stores in Peter Maritzburg. And he always said to me, the more wine you sell and the less SAB beer you sell, the better your bottle store is. And with me today is Yannicko Kutsia, who, who has been a wine consultant in KZN for the last couple of years. And I've caught him just before his big move back to the Cape. Welcome to the show, Yannicko. Thanks, Olga. So, Yannicko, you've been in the business. You studied wine something, wine? Wine biotechnology, yeah, at Stellenbosch University. At Stellenbosch, yeah. And then I made the Groot track to, to KZN to try and convert all the cane and cream soda and Hansa drinkers <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. to wine. Yeah. Um, you first, your first job was with NMK Schultz. Now, yeah. NMK Schultz was a very interesting business for me. I loved the business that NMK did. Yeah. Especially before your time with people like Rod Simmons and Norman up in Norbert Schultz. Yeah. I mean, lots of stories and lovely brands that they brought in. Yeah. But you caught the tail end of it? Or? Yeah, sort of the, 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 the back end of, of NMK Schultz. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it was a... I think that's what attracted me to, to NMK when, when I joined them was the diversity in their portfolio of interesting imported beers Erdinger that's when I first uh, met Erdinger and I'm still drinking Erdinger uh, since then and uh, all the all the, the spirits that they had the interesting snapses uh, um, you come from a German background that Kirschwasser and yeah. all of that and the interesting whiskies and uh, yeah it, it was a cool and then a, a small selection of wine estates but also family owned real story to tell it wasn't mass produced brands that they sold well you'll be happy to know that there's a lovely place um that close to your new home called im Eimer. yeah and uh, i think he's one of the biggest erdinger outlets in the country (laughs) 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 okay and yeah, so, I mean, for me as well, the passion was started, I think, by a guy called Rod Simmons, who was, who was probably the only rep for NMK Shorts when he started. He used to always say he started in Joburg and he did a trip right around South Africa and that he did before Easter and before Christmas. <laughs> and he probably <laughs> sold more than anybody else. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then you went off to VDP. Yeah. Now, VDP is a much-loved distributor in KZN. Yeah. They've certainly done something right. Yeah. No, and it it was, yeah, it's a business that I'm quite proud to say that I've been associated with and still am uh, good friends and family there. Uh, And when I started there, 
Jackson, I remember it was myself and Jan and another lady on, on the road and two admin staff and a warehouse the size of a double-door garage. And during peak season, December, there might be an extra pallet that's sort of standing just outside. But that's how things started. And uh, uh, I remember when uh, VDP grew to the warehouse where they're currently situated at, I remember Jan saying to me, he, he can't imagine us filling this warehouse. And since then, they've acquired the warehouse next door as well. And it's, yeah, the, I think the, the secret to, to their success was their, their service, their efficiency, and something that I've learned about KZN, they're extremely loyal to their own. They, they will rather support their local supplier than the big guy or it's it's a very it's like a real farming community in the free state <laughs> they they support their own and that's great that's very encouraging to see yeah so Jan one said to me um i don't want to see this beer in my warehouse when the craft <laughs> beer revolution started he said to me holger take away all this beer and i'll be happy but i secretly think that the beer the craft beer actually made his business yeah um well, I, I i would like to say that i'm the one that opened pandora's box there <laughs> with the craft beer we initially uh it initially started with uh with Rui and the brews and union brand and for a long time it was just brews and union that was sold yeah um and probably six seven years ago I said to Jan, I, I, this craft beer thing is going to be very big and that we need to get onto the wave now and and it's a lot easier to later on. If it hasn't worked, you can pass the brands on and say, well, go and sell it somewhere else. But we would hate to be in a situation where we were saying we should have uh, joined the wave while it was coming through. And... Uh, I remember I remember emailing uh, Jack Black and uh, what's the gentleman's name there? Ross. Uh, Ross. And uh, Jan was jokingly saying, you're emailing from a Hotmail address. He's not going to reply. <laughs> He's going to think it's spam. And uh, that was one of the first emails that I sent. And it was one of the first and quickest responses that I got back. <laughs> and I wasn't a Nigerian selling uh, some idea, pie-in-the-sky idea. So, yeah, I'm quite fortunate with that. And since then, uh, the, I remember Boston Breweries came on board and uh, and all the rest sort of just, it just snowballed. And eventually the gins as well and... Uh, yeah, no, it, it was it's it's incredible how and, and the craft beer thing has really taken off and I think Jan has gotten a lot grayer since then. <laughs> so let's think a little bit or take a step back. Um I was always in contact with Rui and very interested in his uh, tequilas. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. And um, we I mean there wasn't really a market for those products, but he was very proud of them and yeah. and then 
Um, I tried to sell the beer and he wouldn't give me the beer yeah. because uh, VDP had obviously signed it. Yeah. And as, as a contrast, if you think of Nicholson Smith in Johannesburg, yeah. Jason always said he's happy only selling one beer and VDP went and did yeah. a whole lot of beers. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think, I think uh, Jan made the right decision, or you did. Yeah. And, uh, but let's talk a little bit about Brewers and Union, because that was really um, the pioneer in the craft industry. Yeah. Whether, whether everybody agrees with their title or not, I think it's irrelevant, but yeah. they really started that revolution, because yeah. before that... It was the likes of Bavaria and Vintuk yeah. and the imports, the Erdingers and all the NMK, yeah. NMK brands that were on the market. And then Rui, Rui arrived with yeah. his Brewers and Union. Yeah, um, besides having a, a world-class product in bottle, and now I see more cans on the market, Rui had a fine he was very particular about detail and i remember back then the beers were brewed in germany and for me that was all about he was uncompromising about the quality of the product in the bottle um, in the beginning batch cons consistencies were always an issue with in the craft beer industry and still and he wanted because a beer drinker wants to drink the beer he's drinking now needs to taste the same two months later and three months later and so on and so on. And with his branding and marketing genius of a brain that he's got, he really placed the beer right. The packaging looked completely different and unique, those 500 ml bottles uh, that, that he had back then. And it set him apart from the rest of the beers in the in the fridge and yeah he, he really he placed it well i remember people saying there's no way someone is going to pay 30 rand 20 to 30 rand for beer uh, back then and we had to go to retailers and bars and initially it was a case of 20 and we had to break cases and say well listen just take five see how it goes and um eventually it became ordering in case slots and sort of trying to get the guys to change their mindset in the pricing of craft beer and craft products because something that i very early on noticed is that craft beer unfortunately fell sort of immediately into the market of like wineless pricing they didn't price craft beer the same like any normal beer and uh, it made them quite expensive in, in a pub or a place. And I think since then, they've changed the pricing structure on, on selling beer because beer is, about, is a volume game. And if you're going to charge, uh, gonna charge the, the wineless wine route, you will find yourself sort of in a tricky situation where stock doesn't move as quickly. Mm. Did you ever sell or put your beers on the on the wine list? There were one or two restaurants that eventually started going the sort of the wine list route for for their beer selections, different uh, 
all the different categories and uh, sort of a, just a brief tasting note because it did become quite um, fashionable, the craft beers and all the different styles. And I sometimes think that nowadays people are sort of, it was sort of like a boomerang effect that it went far out where it was almost like a Bible of a book that is given to you about all the beers that they stock. And unfortunately, not all restaurants have got the storage space and the fridge space to cater for all the beers. So they have toned it down um, since then, but there's still people sort of having a list of different IPAs and stouts and ales and pale ales and all the categories. And it has become more and more important that staff training is, is done because before craft beer and the craft market uh, took off, a waiter didn't really have to sell a beer. Mm. People just ordered what they wanted. And now suddenly there's a whole list of things that they can order. And not everyone knows what all the categories mean and what they what's the difference between an ale and a lager and IBUs and you name it. It's all foreign or Greek to them. So, But I think people are getting more educated about the different beers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, what what you're saying is probably also relevant for the wine industry. I mean, you, you can either sell a brand or you can sell a wine. And that's, I guess, the same with beer. And now when I wrote the beer book, I, was, I always said in, in Europe, people sell the beer or the style of beer. And in South Africa, we sell brands. Yeah. And how do we get away from that? Because as you rightly pointed out, the more craft or specialist products a retailer can sell i think the more profitable he, he becomes yeah. but it doesn't come from nothing you you have to train your staff and you have to educate your staff and you have to sell yeah i think it's probably the most critical part of the whole process is training training the staff and even though you're selling the different styles of beer or the different cultivars of wine or blends, I believe that if you understand the different styles of beer and the different cultivars of, of, of wines and so on, you can apply that to any brand. If you understand the basics, you can apply yourself where you don't want to have a rep forget these tasting notes folder in the car and now suddenly he's dead in the water and can't say anything about the brand. But if he understands vice beer, if he understands the start, what it constitutes, he can apply it to, you can put any bottle of beer in front of him or any bottle of wine in front of him. And just because he understands what the variety is about or the type of beer is about, he can apply himself. And it mustn't be, oh, shucks, I've never, I, I don't know what that brand is, so therefore I don't know what the tasting notes are. Oh, and then suddenly it doesn't mean anything. Mm. But if you understand what the style is, you can sort of, without having tasted the beer or the wine, you'll have a fair understanding of what you can expect. Um, and the same for the guy walking into the shop buying a beer. If he understands... If he doesn't like a beer with a hell of a lot of bitterness and he walks in and he buys an IPA, he's in trouble. 
But if he understands what IPA and the story of IPA is about, then he knows what, what he's in for and he'll understand what a vice beer is about and so on. Yeah, so application and education is very important. Let's talk a little bit about wine in KZN because that's really, I think, where you or where we stand out because KZN is a difficult market. And if you go to Cape Town, it just looks so easy. It looks so easy. I can see people drinking expensive wine, standard liquor city Claremont. There's people in the middle of the week buying a bottle of wine for 180 rand, and that's yeah. just for their Wednesday night wine. I'm saying I don't even buy that for my birthday. <laughs> how do how do retailers or how do salespeople attack KZN or make it a success in a market like KZN? Yeah, the KZN market is quite different Cape Town and Johannesburg is sort of very similar buying trends and drinking trends and uh, often you'll hear people visiting KZN saying but they don't understand it's working in Joburg why can't it work here and uh, I do think that the the, uh, the KZN market if we start with the person drinking the beer or the the craft spirit or the, the uh, bottle of wine i think it's quite important that they sort of be open-minded try something new when i moved here from from stellenbosch my average image of an italian was sort of being in a digs in stellenbosch with a bunch of hooligans from KZN and they were drinking cane and cream soda and Hansa Pilsner. That was their stock standard. And then I arrived here and I soon realized as long as it tastes like Sauvignon Blanc and looks like Sauvignon Blanc, an Italian is happy. And Merlot <laughs> on the red wine side. And uh, since then, you see that the guys are sort of becoming a little bit more adventurous. I think in the Cape, everyone sort of, you sit with the market where they are more wine educated, but also I grew up in the Cape and in the Cape, wine is part of culture. I grew up, uh, there was always wine for, for dinner or at a braai and at uh, Varsity, we drank copious amounts of Tussenberg and probably pulled the stell through the recession back then with the <laughs> amounts we drank, but we drink we drank wine nonetheless. We yeah. It wasn't part of culture, and it, I dare I say, almost thought that it was more of a class thing, a elitist thing, that you need to be a subtle, certain level of standing in society to be seen drinking wine. Uh, but that meant that non-wine drinkers thought that that's what wine drinkers are, and they didn't want to be associated with that. So I've always tried to debunk that myth by saying it's fine to drink box wine or bottle wine or anything, as long as you find something that you enjoy. Get your gateway drug and then you can venture into the, the more expensive stuff and the fancier wines. And as your palate Im uh, not improves, but just you, you start venturing into the, the uncharted territories and trying something new. It's just being open-minded. And uh, in the last few years, you've also been involved in retailing, so working yeah. on the other side with Meander Fine Wines. So yeah. both as a distributor and yeah. as a consultant, but yeah. also as a retailer. Yeah. 
So how old is that business? Meanderfine Wines is, now I'm trying to think, I, I remember back in the NMK Schultz days, I started dealing with, with Meander when they opened the Piggly Wiggly Center. And so I would say it's almost seven, eight, nine years, maybe 10 um, that they've been around. And uh, the business started off with being retail focused in the Midlands. And uh, because the Midlands were so seasonal, it was weekends, long weekends and holidays, uh, we started venturing into the distribution side to sort of supplement the income of the business by distributing to the restaurants in the area and that section grew a little bit more. But the wine side has always been wine and craft focused. Um, it's impossible to compete against the the big guys in the industry and you'll still find even though um, the Piggly Wiggly Center is probably a good 40 minutes drive from the nearest macro or big liquor retailer you'll get someone walking in saying but you know what I can buy this wine at, uh, at that retailer for this price it's like but we situated in the Midlands we you're more than welcome to drive 40 minutes to go and get that 10 rand a bottle cheaper. But uh, And it's about adding that value, um, having educated staff uh, that can assist you. What are you having for dinner? Uh, can I suggest this one and not that one? Um, you know, I, I think the, 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 the value-adding service that you give to your, your regulars and that those regulars become very loyal and eventually they'll start walking in and just saying, listen, pick six bottles. I trust your judgment. Um, and it's, it's nice that you start getting into that situation with your regulars that they'll just say, listen, a thousand rand, six bottles, go for it. Mm. Um, because you, you start knowing what they like and what they don't like and, uh, yeah. The problem there is then they they find a brand and next the 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 supermarket or the chain store also picks up on that brand yeah. and and they don't invest in their staff so that they can start discounting it again. I guess. Yeah. Um, a store like Hillcrest Tops is is unique in that Mike doesn't support the big supermarket brands as as I, I yeah. guess we can call them that. And they focus on a different experience. Yeah. What have you seen there? I mean, you were part of that growth. I think it started when kind of when I did the beer book and yeah. you started with the craft beer. That store really yeah. exploded. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really part of the, the wine side. Tell us yeah. a little bit about what you observed there. Yeah. Mike has always been, as you rightly said, uh, supportive of the smaller producers the the craft guys and i think the the caliber of craft buyer will always be happily to to spend a little bit more because it's a more refined product hopefully for for most uh, examples and they'll usually venture in and not only buy the craft gin or the craft tequila or rum they'll go and 
buy a bottle of wine and the 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 wine segments yeah i remember it's it's probably grew by five five times what it used to be when mike took over the the jason store and expanded Mm. that and that became the wine only section and um yeah people are buying up they spending a little bit more on on wine um it's important because there's so many different wine producers wine brands on the market and different the the more unique varieties are becoming more um popular uh it's no longer dedicated to a region and what i probably said two years ago is sort of becoming true or is that people are buying the the lesser known varieties more since is becoming more popular popular grenache um last month's wine enthusiasts from the U, um from the u.s were saying that they were hedging their bets on cabernet franc as being the next big thing it's all lighter style wines um we sit in a blistering hot summer it's hot and humid and you don't want to always be battling through a heavy big cab there's a place for a big cab but you you want to have something that's easy to drink and i sometimes call them chop and dop wines but you want something that's a little bit lower in alcohol a finer tannin a lighter style a little bit more fruitier and that category has grown quite significantly and i can see that that segment of the market and the restaurant side as well on wine list that's growing so people are and it's just having your again going back to having your staff trained and understand what the differences are that if they walk in and a customer is asking them for a sin so that they know it's a wine and not some fancy tequila that they're trying to buy <laughs> so it, it 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 helps it yeah I, I cannot underline the importance of staff training and investing in your staff um uh more than i am at the moment yeah have you have you done that because the other day i was um I was approached by a group of spa owners in Pinetown. And now yeah. Pinetown is not known for its premium wine sales. But we did training with, the, the I guess, the merchandisers and the tailors. And the one guy said to me, is all wine made out of grapes? And, you know, we laughed at that. But I don't think it's... I think it's it's I understand because I mean most spirits are just made in a factory and you push a button and other side you get eighteen yeah. eighteen coming out or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a realistic question, but I mean basics like that. I was shocked. Yeah. No, it, it's it, it, sometimes uh, a person will see Sauvignon Blanc and ask if it's uh, if whether it's a blend. And uh, I've had people saying that they love Pinot Noir. And when I ask them what Pinot Noir they drink, it's uh, Chardonnay Pinot Noir, which isn't the same. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, the, the, the training of the staff um, is very important. And it's just those basics. It doesn't necessarily have to be towards a specific brand. But if they understand what a Merlot is and... If someone is looking for a Bordeaux blend, that they know, well, these are the five grape varieties that you find in a Bordeaux blend and what is a Rhone-style blend. And 
there's there's some small little bits and then they can apply that to the entire merlot section if they understand merlot and they understand sort of what it's all about then they can at least apply that knowledge um that's a much easier and time efficient approach than to try and train them on every single brand on on the shelf um, because it becomes quite daunting uh, let's be honest if if you and I weren't wine drinkers or craft beer drinkers and we had to walk into some of the the bigger craft uh, retailers in KZN or out of the province if you're not if you don't know what you're looking for it's one hell of a daunting task looking at that wall-to-wall of just craft beer or just wine or just gin and in that sort of overwhelming state a customer just grabs what he knows because he recognizes the normal mainstream brand and that's a lot easier to try and figure out what's going on in the shelf and if there's just someone there to guide them and say oh they are but this is vice beer and this is what you can expect when you taste the vice beer or if you like a more fruitier red wine why not try this merlot and if you like something with spice or yeah it's just adding that bit of value and what is what would you say is the easiest for or the best place for people to learn about wine is there a resource um the the easiest one and they've now got uh um uh instagram and facebook account as well as a book and that's wine folly um they've got a website as well and wine folly is very much sort of picture and it's very easy learning uh platforms and they also i'd like to say try and take the snobbery out of wine um they make it very simple very easy to understand um yeah i'm a bit of a picture person and all their books are illustrated and it shows you what you can learn and where and how and maps of wine regions and that's probably the the easiest and best place to to start i would think um if you start going sort of venturing into the more unknown there's plenty of uh, wine societies and wine clubs and KZN that you can join and there you get the opportunity at least once a month to taste wines from different wine estates and different regions uh, wine festivals uh, as well but yeah I, I think that uh, for immediate quick access everyone's got a smartphone now, nowadays the, those type of uh, groups and uh, Facebook and social media accounts uh, does help. Mm. Um, you work with uh, Meander Fine Wines in the Midlands, and the Midlands is also known for some good restaurants. Are there some that stand out with, with the exceptional wine lists, or where would a wine connoisseur go to if he visits the Midlands? Yeah, there's... There's quite a few uh, restaurants, and they quite the Midlands is quite far and widespread. Um, I'm thinking of like at the very top far end, uh, past Moerewe in the Camburg area, you find Cleopatra, 
then you find Hartford House, Granny Mouse, uh, La Lampara, um, and even a, a place like Il Postino for me is one of my favorite spots. Uh, I enjoy the, the pizzas there. Um, and there's, there's many places for, for daytime. Even you get your the beer fossil up in Nottingham Road. Uh, he's expanding his wine list and he's offering as well. Um, so yeah, there, there's something for every taste and and it's cool. I, I really enjoy the Midlands. I'm more of a the Bergen country person than a city slicker. <laughs> and then retailers in in KZN in Durban, we've got Herb. Yeah. Um, was Herb also working with VDP? Or not with, but um, because he's always been supportive of the craft, uh, not the craft revolution, but he's always gone for the lesser known, very much like Meander Fine Wines, not being able to compete against the big guy next door. Uh, always supported the craft, and he's got a very good uh, private customer base where they'll because he's quite well known for his whiskey collection and his spirits collection that he sources from all over and even overseas so um that's sort of a good spot for 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 there and i've always been a a fan of the liquor city guys they've always had an interesting spirit selection i don't know if you remember back in the day that massive liquor city that used to be in newcastle it was it was the size of a, a normal a normal retail uh, non liquor retail store. It was one of the biggest liquor stores that I've ever seen, and yeah, sadly they're not around <laughs> anymore. But always interesting whiskies, and they've always brought in their their own uh, bourbons, and yeah, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, so if you if you go visit liquor cities in Joburg, you'll. I mean, it's yeah. just unbelievable how big they are. And again, if you're moving to Somerset yeah. West, the, there's a beautiful liquor city that yeah. obviously caters for a lot of the wine yeah. fans. And I was standing in the store two weeks ago and there was a customer who walked in and he, you could see he was a foreigner. And he said, where's my bottle of wine? He says, well, I managed to get one. Yeah. And they charged him 200 rand deposit. The wine was 500 rand. Yeah. He says, it's unhealthy to drink new wines. <laughs> <laughs> so he was yeah. very happy with his 500 rand bottle of wine. And I, I think that's also um, sort of encased in the, the great advantage of the tops retailer is that they can, at store level, make a decision. Mm. If a customer walks in looking for a specific gin or beer or rum or wine anything the manager can source that wine immediately it's not like sorry it's not listed at the head office so therefore no matter how badly you want it we can't get it for you where the tops is they can cater for their area whether you situated in hillcrest or maritzburg or down in the bluff or south coast or Belito, you can cater for the market you're in. So you don't have to be constrained by what you have to buy from head office. You can adapt and that's awesome. That's a great place to be in where you're not restricted by 
head office decisions and you can make a call and really turn your shop into an awesome experience. Mm. Have you seen retailers use wine clubs or tasting clubs to grow their businesses? Yeah, there's been one or two that that has been sort of doing tasting sessions or uh, on a Saturday there'll be a tasting and send it out to the database to to come in or uh, a mailing list, uh, something that Mike from Hillcrest Tops has been really good at is uh, social media marketing. It's a free platform. Yes, you pay for to boost your exposure, but to start off, there's no monthly fees that you have to pay. You can just create your account and post interesting stories of customers or guys coming to sell you an interesting bottle of tequila or whatever the case might be. It gives you a, a bigger platform to reach people from outside of the province and outside of your neighborhood and I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen such a marked increase in people from outside of the upper highway area coming to buy from him is because of his presence online yeah and if you thought when we started I don't think we even had a Facebook account for this <laughs> <laughs> And uh, talking about social media, I saw something on your Facebook page that you took a 12-month break from social media. How did that go? Eight eight months. uh, I thought it was uh, uh, on uh, as a New Year's resolution, I decided that I'll have a... a, It was a planned eight, uh, one-month break. And uh, yeah, it, it... it was awesome. It's amazing how much time you've got when you're not on Instagram or Facebook. And I ended up reading a lot more and exercising a lot more. And yeah, it was really cool. It was it was an awesome time. <laughs> but is, it, yeah. But uh, yeah. But as a as a as a wine salesperson, it's I think it's critical to be on social media. Yeah. No, no, not, definitely. Th- that doesn't mean we have to read everything, but we have to communicate and, and build our networks, I guess. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. And that's with my new adventure in, in Stellenbosch and Somerset West area. Um, I thought I, I had to, to get back onto social media. So I'm back on and uh, doing my thing, but uh, it was an awesome holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Before I let you go, Yannick, Let's talk a little bit about wine and KZN. And yeah. now I'm not talking retailing, but um, growing wine. Yeah. Um, at Meander Fine Wines, um, Rudy Garcia has, has started to grow some wines on the Highgate estate. Yeah. And then we've got Abingdon, we've got Cathedral Peak. Yeah. And I think even um, at the wine cellar, they used to grow a bit of wine. Yeah, a little bit there as well. But yeah, the the three that you mentioned first, they they are the the three main key players in the the KZN wine producing region, with uh, the Smallthwaite's at Abingdon. I think it was last year or the year before they got a silver or bronze at the Decanter Trophy for their Viognier. It's they a little bit more focus on the white wine side with the Viognier Chardonnay. 
is a Sauvignon Blanc in a blend and they produced a very small scale MCC style of MCC and a bit of red uh, Rudy and his team at Highgate they produce uh, again Chardonnay and then some red Spinotage, uh, Shiraz and I think a Cabernet and if you head up to, to the Berg to Cathedral Peak more specialized in Pinotage and uh, red wine varieties. The biggest challenge for KZN, and I think all of them would sort of, in a sense, agree, is that grapes, traditionally, if we think Cape Winters, it's cold, it's wet, and that's what vineyards sort of really enjoy is a cold, wet winter, a good time for dormancy for the vineyards, and then a hot, dry summer. Uh, the main reason for the hot dry summer is the fact that if you walk into your nearest supermarket and you look at a grape it's got quite a thin skin uh, cell skin and uh, it makes it quite prone to plant pests and uh, rot now if you add rain during summertime the high probability of of rot and moisture and humidity doesn't always uh, go down too well and we've got a, a much higher likelihood of hail in case it in than what the Cape has got uh, during summertime. The Cape doesn't get any rain during summer, mm-hmm. though occasional bits. The, the other challenge is that during summer rainfall you sit then with the, the vineyard soaking up a lot of water making for a fuller bigger berry. A fuller, bigger berry gives you a, a much lighter style of wine, um, a lighter style of red. Uh, some people refer to it as being a little bit diluted, but it's not really the case. It's just they get a lot more water during summertime where if you go into the Swatland region uh, where they don't even drip irrigate, there's no water during summer and the berries are half the size of the, the Gaussian case it in. So you get a lot more intensity in the wines, a lot more deeper, darker, heavier, more serious um, style of wine. But it's not that it's, it's not a fault. It's not a wrong to have. It's just they get more rain during summer. So therefore, but the challenge is the humidity and the higher probability of rot. Yeah, for me, I've visited uh, Flip Smith at Cathedral Peak yeah. and he took me into the vineyards and he tried to explain all these things for me. The most interesting f- thing for me is obviously the destination that you can go there, the weddings, I mean, they booked yeah. up most of the year and it's a wonderful experience, I think, yeah. to offer a wine estate in, yeah. in the Drakensburg or in the Midlands. Yeah. Um, have you seen the wine at in Belito? No, 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 I haven't. Uh, I've I've heard a lot uh, uh, about the the facility, but I haven't seen it, mm. and I can't even remember whether it was associated with the stables. Didn't they once upon a time try and do something down the north coast with a grape variety from I think Italy? Yeah, I'm not sure about the grape variety. It's 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 funded by the uh, municipality from Stanger, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's also something on the on the cards to yeah. develop a bit of a wine thing. Yeah. Near Belita, 
Okay, so and what what can people expect at Abingdon? Is the Abingdon is for me a, it's it's a beautiful if if you had to blindfold someone and place them there and tell them to to guess where they are, they wouldn't think that they are close to or in case it in. It really feels like you smack bang in the middle of the windlands and in the Cape, uh, beautiful, um, perfect place for lunch, but you have to book in most places in the greater Midlands areas, quite busy over, over weekends. So the, the best, my best suggestion would be is to, to book a lunch and, uh, enjoy a tasting. They've got a beautiful lineup of wines that you can, can go through. Um, yeah, uh, that's, and at Highgate, at, at Piggly Wiggly? So they've got their tasting facility. Just before you reach uh, Piggly Wiggly, you'll see a newly built uh, cellar facility there. And uh, I've forgotten the winemaker's name now, unfortunately, but uh, he's very friendly. They're very approachable. Also beautiful uh, wines. And it's for me, it's so encouraging to see that and it's the same with many of the Cape uh, guys. Uh, as the vineyards mature, you find that the the quality of the grapes also mature, and you can taste that in the wines. If you had to taste some of the earlier attempts by um, these wine producers to the wines that they are producing now, um, it's incredible. It's really. Uh, and all of them are just happy to get a little bit more input and they want to learn and hear what you're doing and how are you doing it and um, yeah it's 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 great it really is cool to to see that the guys are really keeping the Capetonians on their toes well I'm glad to hear that that as somebody from the Western Cape you don't just <laughs> dish the KZN winemakers no 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 it's, 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 it's beautiful wines that are producing and it's it's getting better with each vintage and it's awesome no that's very encouraging thanks thanks for giving us that bit of feedback and yeah maybe we should all make an effort to visit yeah. these these little Definitely. wine farms so tell us a little bit about where you're going and how you I mean you've settled in nicely in KwaZulu Natal um, yeah yeah I, I I've really enjoyed uh, KZN and uh, I never the plan was never to move back to the Cape or to yeah I, I settled in here bought a place six years ago and uh, I love the Berg um, the Drakensberg is sort of my second home and uh, one of the states that I've uh, been dealing with for the past five to six years, Lingrove, I came across at a APSA Top 10 Pinotage tasting. And I think many of uh, you might know that I've got a very unhealthy obsession with Pinotage, being a proudly South African grape variety. And uh, I saw them at another APSA Top 10 uh, tasting and then after that I came across them at the Cape Wine uh, show that was three, four, five years ago and uh, tasted through their range, really enjoyed the range. They've got a nice well-priced uh, 
collection range they've got a beautiful reserve range and then the platinum range and yeah they've asked me to sort of take the brand further in in south africa they've always been more focused on the overseas and european markets and uh yeah i'm looking forward to the challenge the fact that they've got a good penetrage in the mix is <laughs> added bonus so, so you're yeah. moving to a little wine farm in in the, between Stellenbosch and Somerset West. Okay, yeah. lovely. That sounds very exciting. Um, and so I guess you'll still be visiting KZN. Oh, and yeah. No, no, no. Of, you of, won't be getting of, rid of me that of easy. all your contacts <laughs> yeah. that you've pulled up here. Yeah. Um, and that move is in two weeks' time, eh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two weeks from today. Your, if you have to give tips to a bottle store, the basics, how can, how can they start an interesting wine or become a wine destination? Um, something we've been speaking about uh, quite often during this chat is investing in your staff. Um, if they're passionate about the products you sell, um, you'll reap the, the benefits as well. Um, it's no good you as a store owner being passionate about craft but how often are you in store selling those products and it's no good you listing a geeky hipster wine or a, a craft gin or a craft beer but you're not in store to sell that product it's your staff that's in that store to sell that product and wine or spirits or beer on the shelf isn't money in the bank so as nice as it is to have all those brands in there they still need to sell and for that to happen you need to invest in your staff it's incredibly important especially where competition between retailers and there's a lot more online buying options where people can order from online so add that value and i i think even though the world is going more technological uh, with technology and social media and internet, people are sort of gravitating back to that face-to-face -face contact um, to, to have that experience. And they're willing to pay a little bit more for that, for, for learning more and getting that value-added service. Um, if they just wanted to order a bottle of wine or a bottle of craft gin, they can go to any of many online websites where they can buy it from. But why must they come to you? Um, and then when they walk into the store to have your your wine section sort of categorized, that you've got a Merlot section and a Cabernet section and a blend section and that they also sort of according to pricing category that people know what's what's happening and what's going on maybe even having a select uh, or a corner for the guys that's got a little bit more money to spend so that they can see oh here's all the the more top end wines and your geekier uh, wine varieties the single varietals that i spoke of earlier the sinsos and the grenaches and the cabernet francs and even though there's definitely an indication that there's an increase in those sales, they are still lesser known varieties. And to sell them, you need to have the staff to be able to do that. Um, so, and, and it doesn't take 
a lot of money or a lot of time to to go through that and I think even if you have the opportunity to taste occasionally with the staff, I know at Meander Fine Wines, they often taste with, with their staff because at the end of the day, it's the staff that's in the store most of the time that needs to sell that product. Um, so it's it's important that the staff feels included in the decision-making and in the sales process. Um, yeah, and then otherwise... They don't care. It's not their money sitting on the shelf in, in stock. Uh, what incentive is there for them? Uh, yeah. Okay. And tell us, where can where can people find Lingrove? Is there, do you know the website? Of? Yeah, I think it's lingrove.co.za. Um, there's still a bit of work needed on the online presence uh, for, for, for Lingrove and my details. I'm also on social media, so people can contact me. Um, mm. Facebook, Yannick uh, Kutsia, and uh, on Instagram as that wine o. Uh, so yeah. There you have it. Our favourite wine o is moving <laughs> to the Cape, and will there, is there a wine tasting facility at Lingrove, or is it more focused? Yeah, it, it's. Um, they they are a little bit more focused on the tourism side at the moment. Uh, the plans are to expand the the tasting room facilities. Um, you can contact me through my various social media um, presence, and we can make an appointment and organise a tasting. We there you just. Go. Just 15 minutes from Stellenbosch, 15 minutes from Somerset West. And, uh, yeah, let's go and visit Jan-Nico Kutsia when, when you're in the Cape again. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you. joining us today. Lots of interesting lessons. Thanks, Volga. Thank you so much for the time and support. Yeah, and good luck with your move. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for joining us today little bit different with the wine angle and who would have thought that KZN has got three wine estates worth visiting. This podcast was brought to you by DrinksBiz, a community for business owners and professionals in the liquor industry. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.